brother, why are we moving so fast? We look ridiculous. Because I have no idea how far we have to go. And if we miss this flight, that's it. It's all over. We just die here in Germany. Hi, this is Brother Nicholas Romeo, and you're listening to the Friable Friar, a limited series from the Franciscan Friars Conventual, focused on the critical Catholic question of vocational discernment. In this third episode, we explore how we act on our call to holiness. After something resembling a good night's sleep in a hotel near the Philly airport, we returned to have another go at making it to Paris. Only this time, we split up. There were no flights available having sufficient seats for the full group, so like Moses parting the Red Sea, the airline divided us in half. One group would fly first to Boston before connecting through to Paris. The other would travel to France via Frankfurt, Germany. The teacher in charge of the trip, the one fluent in French, led the first group. I, whose ancestors had at some point in history lived in Germany, led the second. The full contingent said our see-you-laters to one another at the hotel since we were headed for different terminals. On the shuttle ride to the airport, glancing around at the faces of the boys, I felt an anxiety rise up from the depths of me, twisting my stomach into circus act contortions. Rapidly crystallizing was the reality that I was now in charge of these boys. I was the one who needed to hashtag adult them through this journey. I switched into red level awareness, five alarm, DEFCON 1, threat level midnight. The flight to Germany went off without a hitch, I know, because I stayed awake through its entirety gorging myself on every variety of caffeinated beverage the flight attendant could offer. When we deplaned, I gathered the boys in front of me and pushed them through the airport. We had a 20-minute layover before the second leg to Paris, a flight leaving from a different terminal. Frankfurt Airport is massive, or at least it seemed that way. There was a sea of humanity before us, moving with a Germanic level of precision. The boys were somewhat less precise. Though most had slept the entire way, they were sluggish, weighed down by lethargy, emerging apathy, and the dense empty carbs of an airline breakfast. I guided them through the airport like a gazelle evading a predator, until one of them complained about the pace and how embarrassing was my indifference to the other people around us as I bound it through one segment of crowd after another. Without turning, and without slowing down, I responded with as close to a rational explanation as I was able to formulate. We have 20 minutes. 20 minutes, and I have no idea how far we have to go. And if we miss this flight, if we miss this flight, we die here in Germany. The boys, familiar with the intensity of determination the tone signified, found their footing. God calls each of us to a life of holiness, a life of such intensity that it causes others to respond with a combination of awe and amazement. The characteristic shape of that intensity of life, if it is a life modeled on the gospel, is love. We grow in holiness 
by growing in love. Unfortunately, love is a term that has been usurped by the contemporary cult of kindness. Our task now, according to this cult, is to, quote, be a good person by simply being nice to everyone. Love, in this line of thinking, is a synonym for kindness. That's cute, but from a gospel perspective, it's redonkulous. Jesus didn't summon the first disciples to follow his example of niceness. He didn't awe the crowds with displays of door-holding. He didn't inspire his enemies to devise his execution because they just couldn't handle all the fist-bumping. Jesus doesn't reveal the God of niceness. He reveals the God who is love. Love is neither a synonym for kind, nor a feeling of warm butterflies and gooey awkwardness. Love isn't located in the emotions. It's located in the will. Love isn't a sensation, it's an act. It's seeking and willing the good of the other. When we love another person, we want their good. Ultimately, the fullness of good for them is their own call toward holiness and relationship with God. We love them by helping them toward that end. If I love you, it means I figure out what is best for you. I desire that thing for you, and if given the opportunity, I will make that thing come about in your life. I seek and I actively will your good. This is why equating love with being kind or nice is so problematic. Kindness is a subjective experience on the part of the receiver of an action. The kindness of an act isn't measured by the intentions of the person acting, but by the perception of the person being acted upon. Try holding a door open for a young feminist, and you'll experience what I mean. An act of love, therefore, often necessitates being unkind to another person. One example to illustrate the point. You're at a family party. You're hanging with the other young adult family members in the yard. The other adults are inside, and the kids are playing nearby. You look up to see your three-year-old niece run to the street chasing a ball. Without hesitation, you run after her, grab her out of the street, and sternly instruct her never to run into the street again. The suddenness of the movement, the sternness of your voice, and the fact that her ball remains in the street likely work together to upset your niece. She experiences fear, sadness, and confusion in response to your act, not kindness. She experiences you in that moment as being a big meanie head, not a nice uncle. Your act was one of love. Staying out of the street is the current good in the life of your niece. You recognized it and willed it into existence. Responding to your niece from a standpoint of kindness, where you choose your response based on what you think will make her feel good, possibly results in her being run over by a car, or at the very least, not getting that running into the street is a bad idea. She doesn't need a nice uncle. She needs a loving one. This is also why Jesus challenges us to love our enemies instead of hating them. Hate, as love's opposite, isn't just feeling lots of big negative emotions about another person. It means we want and work for bad things to happen to other people. If I hate you, it means I want you to get hit by a car, and if given the opportunity, I would be the driver. The life of Jesus but more poignantly his passion and death, 
demonstrates the fullest depth of love. To seek and will the good of another to the point that I am willing to lose everything for it. To surrender myself in self-sacrificial gift for another person is the height of love. To die for another reveals love's breadth. It's that kind of love to which Christ calls his disciples. That's powerful and intense, and it's something to which I'm willing to give myself completely. Kindness, just being nice to everybody, is vacuous. No one gives his life for the sake of kindness. No one is inspired to self-sacrifice for the sake of being a nice guy. I don't think any of the boys in my group would testify that I was kind to them that day in Frankfurt's airport. But I do think that they recognized I was striving to accomplish what was best for them at that moment. Thus, given that our vocation is the setting where we are best able to live a life of intensity, and given that the most intense life possible is the one directed by seeking and willing what is good in the life of other people, the primary question of discernment is this. Through which style of life will I be best able to offer the fullness of myself in self-sacrificial love? That's the main question, and it's a biggie. Fortunately, there are three smaller questions we can consider when trying to answer that big one. Music